servicemen back, back who are service, who are actively uh, protecting our country. We're in Mark chapter 7 this morning. We're going to do a little, a little recap of Mark chapter 6. For those that have missed, we're going through the book of Mark. Four things we learned last week. For those that uh, don't know Jesus, we want to encourage you to come to Jesus. He will change you. Amen? He will change you. The disciples followed Jesus. They came to Jesus, and Jesus changed their lives in more ways than one. We also learned that Jesus was sending his disciples two by two out to go preach repentance. And remember, they had a staff, they had their sandals, a bag with no money, and just one tunic. We learned that God, we need to trust in everything. Trust God in everything. Even in our lives today, what do we need to give back to God? I give this, I trust you that you're going to take care of it. And then we understood, we see Jesus going back to his home to own hometown, preaching repentance. They rejected him. They rejected Jesus, the carpenter that grew up in town. And we learned that no matter what happens in our life, when we share our faith with our friends, family, co-workers, schoolmates, rejection comes with the territory. Rejection comes with the territory. And lastly, we learned through the, the life of John the Baptist as he was in prison with King Herod that your, your reputation defines you. See, John was, was recognized as a man who is righteous and holy. Herod said that. Listen, he is a righteous and holy man. What is your reputation? What do people know you as at your job, in your community, at school? You're playing in that league and basketball or soccer or so what kind of reputation do we have and so as we get into mark chapter 7 this morning of course a day in the life of jesus wouldn't be the same unless he had to deal with these pharisees these religious leaders and so we see here in mark 7 that jesus has an encounter of these men who thought they knew everything about the law and the issue that we're going to tackle this morning is, is we're going to talk about tradition but we need to learn that we're going to learn to honor God in our life. The traditions are something many times are man-based, man-oriented. And so the issue that was going to come to the disciples here that the Pharisees were complaining about was this idea of cleanliness, not washing your hands before you eat. It sounds like something your mom would say. So before we do that, I'd like to just share a couple of funny stories about cleanliness and kids. So James Breakwell says this. He had a conversation to, about, to, to his kids says, listen, kids, we got the house of disaster. We need to clean. His eight-year-old said, who's coming over? The dad said, no one. We're cleaning for us. The eight-year-old said, in all of their wisdom, but we already know we live like this. <laughs> True. True. Jennifer White says this, kids are sponges, except when it comes to cleaning up their own messes. All, pa all parents say, amen. And Dawn gives this illustration of having her daughter help her clean the windows in the living room. And she went around the corner and went to get cleaning supplies. She was already cleaning the windows by licking the windows and wiping it with her, her shirt. I know some of you are like, that's how our windows are cleaned here, just FYI, you know? No, they're not. And lastly, Lisa said this, she asked her daughter to help her with the laundry, and lo and behold, she goes into the bathroom, and her daughter is washing the laundry in the toilet, helping mom clean. 
See, in the Old Testament, God speaks a lot about cleanliness, both physically and both spiritually, to a nation that God set up rules for them to follow. So this morning, we see in our text that Jesus is having a conversation with a group of religious leaders who knew the law. They, no doubt, they did know the law. But we see here that Jesus explains the details to these religious teachers of the foolishness of the rule of this law and the enforcement of it. You see, I think when we, when we read the Gospels, I think there's four groups of people we see following Jesus. One, we see individuals that are true followers of Jesus. They're, they're true followers. His disciples, they, Jesus said, listen, follow me. They picked up what they did. They left their jobs and they followed Christ. True followers, people who really believed in Jesus and believed what he come to do. Secondly, we have those that were intrigue followers. Those individuals who kind of just, they just stood in the background and like, uh, they were interested in what he did. They didn't want to dive in 100%, but like, he's a really interesting guy. I'm, I'm going to follow him just, just for the intriguing part of it. Then you have the action seekers. You know, if you remember when Jesus cast the demon out of the, the man of Gerasene, you remember when Jesus cast those 2,000 demons into the, the 2,000 pigs that ran off the cliff? People were running. Well, i got to check this out. If they would have had phones on, they would have been the ones posting it on YouTube and Instagram because they're actually, they, they, they were just around Jesus to see what he would do, what miracles he would produce. And then we have, in which we're going to talk about today, those who are ministry stoppers the Pharisees and the religious teachers who just wanted to prove Jesus wrong. And that's what we see here, that a group of religious leaders who are trying to question Jesus. So let's look. Mark chapter 7, start at verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Holding to the traditions of the elders. I want you to underline that phrase. That is a key phrase, and we see it at the end in verse 5. Holding to the tradition of the elders. It doesn't say holding to the traditions of the law. Holding to the traditions of the elders. That is going to be a key point for this morning. Verse 4, And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups, pots, and copper vessels, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes had asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to, there it is again, tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? You could hear them saying this to the disciples. Well, I think as we dive into this text this morning, I think we need to kind of define who these people are. Let's talk about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, we know, are a group of important religious and political leaders of the Jewish party of Jesus' time. The Pharisees followed a strict, a strict ideology of the law from the Old Testament, from the Old Testament, along with other added traditions. Within the group of the Pharisees, there was two groups, the Shema, or the Shemaiah, some call them, or the, and the Halah. The Shema, they were the very strict followers of the law. They were the conservatives. They followed every bit of the law. And then, of course, all the rules and regulations that they've added to the law. And then you have Halah. The Halah were those individuals who were a little bit liberal. They were the ones that just had a, a hands-off approach to the law and the application of the law. They just they, they, they took, they could take it or leave it. They were more of a liberal approach of following the law. 
Then you had this group called the scribes. These scribes, as we read here in the text, were individuals that actually studied Jewish law, the traditions of the rules and regulations. They were law experts. They were scripture experts. Actually, if you look in the Old Testament, Ezra was considered one of the first scribes in the Old Testament. He expounded on the scriptures and the law. It's very interesting. The Pharisees accepted the word of God as inspired, just like we do, like we would do today. They, they have God's word. This is the law. It's God's word. Unfortunately, the Pharisees held to an equal authority of oral tradition along with the law. And there is where we have our problem of today. We must understand that we hear the word Pharisees, we're like, oh, those Pharisees, oh, they're such bad people. Well, they have some religion, they have some spiritual problems. But when we've seen the inception of Pharisees and the inception of the, the group of the scribes, it was a good thing. They were put in place to keep Israel in place spiritually. You think about Old Testament history of Israel. What's the story? They disobeyed God. God put them under pressure or, or, or judged them. They came out. They repented. Israel had a problem with following the law. The Pharisees and the scribes were put in place to keep them in check with the law. However, evolving over centuries, the Pharisees' traditions, they were added to the law of God. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that that is sin. You don't add to what God has already written. Well, the Pharisees were already starting to do this through the hundred years of the inception. See, the Gospels gave good examples of how Jesus and the Pharisees constantly butted heads. Why? Because they were adding to what God had said in the law. And Jesus here, we will read in Mark 7, 7, he says, listen, you're just following mere rules of men. So you can see this is the setup. This is who Jesus is dealing with. There was, you, might, you might ask, so how did they come up with these laws? I believe there's four way, three ways in which they would determine these laws, oral laws. They would look at the law of God, and they would then create these rules and regulations to follow the law. Not necessarily bad rules. Some of those rules could, could point to God and point to Jesus, but they were rules they added, oral law. The Pharisees created rules. Decision of judges. A judicial rule of some political organizations connecting with spiritual and the law would create another set of rules that, that was forced and pushed in the Jew, on the Jewish people. And lastly, interpretation of some rabbis who read the law and said, you know what, we're creating this rule to follow. And you see, it, was, it went beyond the law of God. It now became mere rules of men. Now here we see in this text, what was their intent? Well, here... The God squad, as we'll call them, the Pharisees and the scribes, their purpose was to go trap Jesus. So they were trying, at any time they came up to Jesus, they always asked him, hey, so why are you letting this happen? Why are you doing this? Always trying to trap Jesus in his dealings with the Jewish people. See, Jesus was in Galilee. The scribes and Pharisees came from Jerusalem. That is a 90-mile trek. To go prove Jesus wrong. So if we were going to go 90 miles, Lancaster is 97 miles. God's country out there, in Amish country, God's country, right? That's 97 miles. So the, Jew, the Pharisees and the scribes traveled 90 miles to go trap Jesus and his disciples because they were not following the traditions of man. So what was the issue? Let's read there again in Mark 7. Let's look at verse 1. And they saw some of the disciples that ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. Look at verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him. Now, 
Bear with me a minute. You see them. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders, but eat with defiled hands? What arrogance, right? What pride. Do you see how people could have hated the Pharisees? Those individuals that, the individuals that just walked around thinking, looking down their nose at everybody, and this is what their, their reputation was. So what was the big deal of eating, uh, not eating without washing your hands? My wife is always telling me, Jason, did you wash your hands? Yes, I did. Even though I lied sometimes. No, I, I didn't. I always wash my hands. What is the purpose of washing hands? To make your hands clean before you eat and ingest food so you're not dirty. A very common and, and cl- dealing with cleanliness. Absolutely. In, in, the old, in, in the New Testament, also another cleanliness activity was foot washing. They would, you know, people would come into the house, you'd take your sandals off, someone would wash your feet. Why? There's nothing spiritual about it. It was just practical. I don't want you taking your crummy feet through my house, right? Just get the dust and stuff off. Jesus used foot washing as a sign of servanthood, we see with the disciples in the upper room before he was crucified. These things have nothing to do with your spirituality, but the disciples, but the Pharisees were making it such. So let's look. I did some research this week on what hand washing was in ancient times. And so there was a basin. People would wash their hands and take a rag and clean it off, and you're good to go, and you're ready to eat. Here's how the Pharisees, history tells how the Pharisees would eat their, eat their, or wash their hands before they ate. They would stick their hands into a basin, they would lift their hands in the air, and they would let the water drip down to their elbows. And then they would take their fists a couple times and do this, and then they would put their hands down and let the excess water drip off their fingers. Now, what I just described to you, do you think their hands are clean to eat? This was just a, a, a ceremonial show-off of washing of hands. In fact, if you were spiritual, you would do that before a meal. They would, they, and that's why they were, they were looking at the disciples. Why are they eating when they wash their hands? They go, what kind of people are they? If you were really, really spiritual, they would do that hand-washing ceremony before each course. Well, I'm done my potatoes, so now I need to wash my hands again. Can you imagine sitting with a Pharisee and be like, oh, give me a break. You've got to be kidding me. Oh, he's eating his dessert. Here we go with the hand-washing again. And if you were really, really, really spiritual, and you came in contact with a Gentile, they would go out into the city, into Jerusalem, and they would get into a mikvah, a baptismal, we use it in the New Testament, of course, they were the baptismal pools that were set in Jerusalem. In fact, we read the book of Acts where 3,000 individuals were added to the church. They were baptized immediately in those mikvahs, these pools of these little cement basins they could submerge themselves into. They would submerge themselves in the water and come out because they were in touch with a Gentile. This is the type of people that Jesus was dealing with and were questioning him. So how did Jesus respond to them? I love this part. Look at verse 6. I wish I could have been there just to see Jesus' tone. Verse 6, and he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Ouch! Wow! Go get him, Jesus, right? Hypocrite there in the Greek means a pretender. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. Understand, this word hypocrite was found 23 times in the Gospels. 21 out of the 23 times, guess who he was talking to? The Pharisees. Pharisees. And understand, that Greek culture, they understood the word hypocrite. I mean, we throw that word around and we understand what it means, but understand, hypocrite was someone who wore a mask. And in the Greek dramas, in the Greek plays, 
someone who was a, an actor, they were a hypocrite. They put a mask on to be someone they weren't. And what a beautiful illustration that Jesus gives. This is who you are. You are a hypocrite. You are saying one thing with your lips. However, your heart is far from me. But he's not done calling them out. Look at verse 9. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God. Here's Jesus. They're coming to check him. And now he is going back. Listen, you're rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. Now he goes to another command of God, and he's going to tell them here in verse 10 of what they're doing wrong with their traditions of men. Look at verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. It's the command of Moses, what Moses commanded the nation of Israel. Verse 11, but you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, an offering, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making, the vo the, making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So first of all, we see Jesus is saying, listen, your lips do not back up where your heart is. Your heart is not what you're saying. You are acting. You are a hypocrite. Then he addresses this other issue. It goes to Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. The Apostle Paul references this in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. See, it was the fifth commandment. And in that tradition, when your parents would get of age and older, you would bring them in, you would live with them, you would take care of them physically and financially. Many of you here have done that with your family. That is commendable. That is what the law of Moses. Listen, you need to take care of your aging parents. You're going to honor them. But the Pharisees had just another, added another law to that, another rule to that. So that, that, that word Corbin is an offering. And so what Jesus is telling them, here's what the Pharisees did. The money that I get and I give back to the Lord as an offering, I just don't have any money to help with my parents. So therefore, I don't need to follow that law because my money is given to God and God will take care of that so I can't help my aging parents. What a bunch of shysters. Right? They made that rule, and Jesus pointed out, listen, you made this own your own tradition here against the very law of God of taking care of your parents. So this morning, I'd like us to, to look at, at three dangers in the area of tradition. Three dangers in the area of tradition. First, traditions can lead to hypocritical worship. Traditions can lead to hypocritical worship. Think about it. Traditions of men... It becomes very ritualistic. Think about your life, right, and how you were raised in certain churches. For instance, those that were raised in Catholicism. Well, if you go to Mass, you partake, partake of the sacraments, you say confession, you give to maybe get someone out of purgatory, whatever the rules are there. You do those things. You can live like the devil all week, spiritually be nowhere, as long as you do those things, right? For those that are Catholic, you find, guess what? You're going to heaven. You're good to go. Traditions of Man, how about our faith and the Christian faith? I mean, we sit in churches across the country, Christian churches meeting right now. Is everyone that's in church a believer? No. There's individuals who are hypocrites. There's people that are faking. We come, come to church, you give a couple bucks in the offering, you get involved with the ministry, you raise your hands in worship, I'm good to go. I followed the rules. I participated in the traditions of man. So spiritually, I must be okay. 
You see how sometimes we are no different than the Pharisees and how we follow our faith? You see, ritualism is often done repeatedly, and when we do things repeatedly, we sometimes forget the origin, the purpose of why we do it. In fact, I was, I was a few years, few years ago, I was watching, I was flipping channels, and I ran into the, the EWTN network, the Catholic network, and, and I was sitting there, I was kind of like, I was like t- t- talking to Judy, and I was like, look at these, look at these nuns praying the rosary, and they're sitting there, and they're repeating, repeating. Then the next day, I said a prayer before lunch, and I'm like, I've been saying this prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day, bless us too, give us a good day, amen. How am I no different? I'm repeating and repeating. Because we're forgetting who we're praying to. We're forgetting the purpose of prayer. We can find ourselves catching ourselves. Here I am making fun of another faith. And I'm like, you know what? I like do the same thing when I pray. I repeat. And sometimes those words are vain because I'm not thinking about it. I'm not really serious about them. See, worship without heart becomes hypocritical worship. Worship without heart. Why do you come to church and sing? Why do you get? To, why do we gather together as an assembly? What is the purpose of why we do things? Is it to just, as eh, a tradition, it's what we used to do, or is it because you truly love God and these things help us point us to God? In fact, we can have, we can be intelligent and logical and educated. We can have friends. We can have conversations. We can agree to disagree, and we have a great time in the church. However, <laughs> when you mess with someone's tradition. Ooh, yeah, someone's laughing. They know. They've been, they've been in church for a while. What happens? Oh, how dare you? But, but no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let me go through some things. Can we have some fun this morning? Okay. How about in the area of dress? Now, 17 years ago when I came here, I would be standing in a suit and tie. Nothing wrong with suit and ties. But as we look at culture, we look at things, we say, hey, listen, we're going to change the way we dress. Now, some people are, oh, you know, the suit was our kind of priestly garb. Again, nothing wrong with that. But that was, that was a tradition of man. It was style of the time. Worship music. I fought many a wars in my years. Not necessarily here. You guys have been, we've been great when we transitioned here. And, but when I'm from other churches, I, you know, there are people that I think hated me like Tom and Jerry hate. You know? Like, like, seriously, you know, I, there was a guy, when I first came here, he would go and get out, and he would stand in the back of the foyer like this, stare at me through the window until I was done, and then he would come and sit down. Talk about intimidating. But what is it? Traditions of men. I was raised this way. This is what worship is about. This is what it's about, and nothing else. You can't have a logical conversation. You can't look at the Word of God. It becomes a tradition of man, much just like the Pharisees. How about... I wrote down here the tradition of just things we have, the bulletin. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we didn't have a bulletin. Didn't hear much. But some people, that's, we always had that in church. So why don't we have it? Can I say something? Can, we're family. We can have some fun with this. Last year, the pastors got together, and we changed a day on the calendar. We had a Christmas Eve Eve service. I know. <gasps> right? You would have thought that we took the Old Testament and threw it in the fire and burned it. Why? Because we have to have a Christmas Eve service. Because why? Because we've always done it that way before. I, we were getting Santa Claus heads in the mail, you know? You know? No, we, we, we weren't. We weren't. But we changed the day. 
And we did the exact same service because the pastors are just really loving and nice. We said, you know, we want you to spend time with your family on Thursday instead of Friday. You know, and so this year we're going to have a Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. No, we're not. We're not. We're going back to Christmas Eve, all right? So we're going back to the way it's always been. But I just give that as an example. There's things that we can change, and we can agree to disagree, but it has nothing to do with disobeying the law of God. As we see the Pharisees doing here, constantly making these rules, keeping them as gospel, as we say. You see, it's very interesting. Individuals will stand on a tradition like the Pharisees did. And I, I found myself guilty of this in my life. We stand on the tradition. We'll fight, whatever it is. If it's music, if it's the way we dress, if it's a day of the, day of the year that we honor, we'll, we got to do this. And we'll get people behind us. And we'll send anonymous emails to the church staff. And look, we're going to fight for this. This is blah, 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 blah. Yet, when it comes to standing on things that matter on the truth of God, we fall on the sword. Let me give you an example. We, we've shared the past couple weeks up until the, you know, our vote. Listen, we need to vote biblically. Okay, that's where we make a difference. That's where we stand on the Word of God. Other areas, in the area of your school, in your school boards, you stand on what the Word of God says. And yes, when you stand behind God's Word, yes, you're standing on truth. But when those things come, well, it's just culture. I'm going to pray for them. I, I, I know, I'm just going to let it go. It's just, it's just the world we live, which we live. But you're going to stand on what kind of music we sing. You're going to fight for this. That has nothing to do with what God says about music or worship. But we'll fall on the sword when it comes. We have to stand up the truth. Where are you putting your hat? Where are you hanging your jacket when it comes to standing up for things? Is it important? Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Does the value and participation of a certain tradition have any eternal significance at all? Does the value and participation of our traditions have any real eternal significance at all? And we sit and think about it. You're like, oh, you're right. But churches split and they argue over these man-made traditions. Jesus here in verse 14 points to the Pharisees. Here, listen, this is what's important. This is what is important. All these rules of value, not, you, you, the offering that you're not, you gave to God that you're not helping your parents out, this idea of eating with unclean hands, okay, I, I, all man-made rules. Here is the focus. Look at verse 14. Actually, we'll read the text. It's down a little further. And he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that's going, to, or going into him that can defile him, profane him, make him unclean. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? I want to pause here a minute. I love this because when Jesus is just giving the smackdown to the Pharisees, like boom, boom, and the disciples are like, yes, preach it, Jesus, yes, amen. But as they got Jesus alone, like, hey, Jesus, what, what did you mean by that again? I would have been one of those disciples. Jesus, can you explain that again to us? And here's what he says in verse 18. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So Jesus is saying here, so the law of all, what, what, the, what the Jews could eat, what they couldn't eat and could and, and during, the, during the time of the Old Testament, okay, Jesus was coming to abolish that. He was coming, he fulfilled the law. He's changing things here. And he's saying, listen, Pharisees, what you put in your mouth for food, that does not defile you as you have read and what you have pushed in for the Jewish people. 
fact, Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 5. He says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. You see, Paul was dealing with a group of Christians that were making this transition. Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This idea of them eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Now, if you remember our story in Daniel chapter 1, when Daniel and those hundreds of Jewish refugees came from Bab uh, uh, Judea to Babylon to serve Nebuchadnezzar, do you remember Daniel took a stand? This smorgasbord buffet was created for these Jewish refugees, and Daniel says, I can't eat this food. Why? Because it was sacrificed to idols. You remember that story? Well, here Jesus is saying, listen, now we're at, we're at a new dispensation. There's a, a new time coming. What you eat does not defile you. So here's the good news. If you're a vegan, you do it as unto the Lord. If you're a carnivore, you eat meat, you do it as unto the Lord. You don't look at the vegan. The vegan doesn't look at the one who eats meat as uh, someone who's unholy or unclean. Because Jesus says what you put in your body, that's between you and God. If you are a junk food connoisseur, you do it as unto the Lord. Now, you may not be here long if you continue in that diet. But you see what I'm saying? What Jesus is saying here is, listen, what you, put in, what, the fair, what you put in your mouth doesn't defile you. But what does matter? Look what Jesus says here in verse 21. From within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, Deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, and all these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. Jesus is saying, listen, this is what matters. Yeah, should you wash your hands before you eat? Yes, for cleanse. Yeah, but that does not make you defiled. But these things here is what defiles a person. I think it leads us to our second danger this morning. The second danger in tradition is this. It can lead to vain worship. It can lead to vain worship. See, when traditions of men are taught on the same level as the words of God, what are we worshiping? We're worshiping that tradition instead of really worshiping God. Such things may appear to be very impressive in how we do things with church and worship in our ministries. But what is our focus? Are we focusing on that tradition instead of really focusing on the purpose of what that tradition was created to do is to give praise and honor to God? You see, a lot of our traditions, God never commanded it. Secondly is it does not accomplish what we really, really need. Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink. And that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. Or in regards of a, to a festival or new moon or Sabbath day or a Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve service, okay? They are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Everything that we do, regardless of what side you on, what you eat and what you can't eat, listen, a call comes down that our substance belongs to Christ. He gets all the honor. He gets all the glory. And he receives the glory for what we do. And it comes from our heart. And Jesus is saying, listen, these things are in your life. These are the things you've got to wear. Are you, are you pushing out these sins that he's mentioned? Are these things coming out of your life? That's what needs to be put away. Paul mentions that in Ephesians chapter 4. Put off these things. This is what matters. Not following a bunch of rules and regulations. The third thing 
that we see, third danger we see tradition giving us is it, it makes the word of God void. It makes the word of God void. Jesus gave a perfect example to the Pharisees. Listen, here's what Moses says. Here's what God says in the command. But now you're changing it up and saying, listen, we don't have to because our money goes to God. Well, God said this, so you're saying that God's word doesn't matter. Let me look at, let me give you another illustration in the area of a, a tradition in, I guess, in religion or in church of sprinkling, the act of sprinkling. You know, so a few weeks ago we had baptism. We believe in baptism by immersion. All right. Well, sprinkling came into effect in the 13th century. The Catholic Church actually used to baptize by immersion. In the 13th century, they stopped. You know why they stopped? Inconvenience. It was inconvenience to be submerged underwater. Now, humanly speaking, I get it. We baptized a few few weeks ago. Justin was here for the first service, and I was, I was back here with Justin after I baptized him. He had no towel. He was in jeans soaking wet. He wasn't, he wasn't prepared. So I had to run over here and get some stuff for him. Ladies, when you, got, when you get baptized, you come in here. I got a hair dryer. I had to come out here and sit. Everyone's looking at me, right? These, it's convenient. Right. Okay, I get it. But what's God say? What's God say? He says, we believe, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 16, that baptism is by immersion. And we will go through inconvenience because, not because it's, it's wrong or you know, we, we shouldn't. No, we do it because God says this is the way it should be done. You see how traditions of men can carry through, even through hundreds of years of religion and faith, and they make God's word void. Like, God's, okay, God's I know, but God, we're living a different time. No, this is what he said, and we follow it. Church, one thing we need to understand is that the tra tra traditions of man are okay. We have many traditions that are okay. They're not sin. They're not wrong. It's the focusing on them that makes them the, the true entity of what we believe instead of what does God's word say. We hear Faith Bible, I must say I, I commend you, and a lot of the changes we've done in the past couple of years, you have come alongside of and support us because you understand these are just traditions of man. You see all the good things that are happening here, faith or outreach, our, our evangelism, people coming to faith, people being baptized, that's the focus, but that is what we're focused on. These traditions of men, we can change, we can adapt, we can eliminate. It will not change our spirituality, will it? You would hear statements such as, you know, hey, well, you're going down a slippery slope as a church if you don't do this. Or, man, you've, you've, you've run off the tracks. Do you know what that means when I hear that? What that means is this, nine times out of ten, is that we change something that they didn't like, and they're basing our spirituality on it. That, that, that's what it means. It doesn't mean you're not spiritual. It just means to their, in their eyes, they're like, listen, we always did this. Okay, we're changing this, or we're adapting this. But in their eyes much just like the Pharisees. We have to do this, that, or the other thing, or else. So tonight, if you're meeting with small groups, I prepare some questions and, and, and an activity um, for our small group leaders, for our, our groups tonight. Um, and it's to this, to sit down and list traditions that you remember in church, whether you were raised Lutheran, Catholic, whatever, Baptist, just list traditions of church. That you remember, oh, we used to do this. And then I want us to go through, and I want us to look at those traditions and, and, and compare them to God's Word. Are they things that we need to do, that God commands us to do? Are they things that we have adopted 
of man's traditions. You know what? I, was, I did it myself this week a little bit. I was going through with how I was raised and things that we did. Not bad things, things that we still do here at church. And I found out that church would look a lot different in how we worship if we just followed what God says for us to do in church. The teaching of God's word, the praying, the fellowship of believers, the laying on of hands, the praying for one another. I don't see anything about a worship band. I love, I'm a musician, I love worship. I don't see anything in there about other traditions. It puts things in perspective and what we need to focus on as people of God and not to focus on traditions of men. Again, traditions of men are good. They're, they're not bad, but we put the focus on them like the Pharisees, that's where the problem lies. That's where the problem lies. So church, let's, let's focus on our heart issues. As Jesus told the Pharisees, these things here, deceit and sensuality and envy, all those sins, they're the things we've got to work on putting off. Don't worry about these other things that don't matter for eternity. Our relationship with God is what matters for eternity. You gotta, like I say, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, Make that right today. You might say, wait, what are you guys talking about this? Jesus and traditions. Listen, we'll walk you through that. The most important decision you can make is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning because he can change you. And for us who are believers, let's focus on the real thing. Focus on what's important in this world today. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, just thank you for your word and, and just, uh, just the, the, seeing the stories uh, that, that you have, have, have here in Scripture of how we need to live and your dealings with even the religious leaders that we can learn from. Because many times, Father, I must admit that I, I've had that pharisaical attitude in my life. And so let allow us to focus on what your word says to be true. Allow, um, allow us to focus on what is important, what will matter for eternity, and let's live to that end. Father, thank you so much for this day. We ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Let's all stand up together. Let's sing You Cannot Be Stopped. Sing out. 